Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. The following is the full interview I did on End of Days Radio in August of 2016. Just a reminder that my podcast is now up and running on Apple iTunes, so if you get a chance, please go over and subscribe and review. Thank you very much. From the broken ruins of Babylon, this is end of days radio the trumpets have sounded and the end of all has begun as the beast rises from the ocean end of days radio is here to awaken the fire in your heart and now introducing the greatest tag team radio has ever witnessed i am daniel i am your host and guide for this program and i'm broadcasting from the glistening emerald city in the heart of the beautiful pacific northwest and introducing my partner in crime and our other hosts of this one-of-a-kind program. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Michael. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day. From all the way from the wastelands of California, in the desolate land of El Centro. My name is Michael. I am the host and producer of this program. We look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. You can listen every Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time Live on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days Radio or go to endofdaysradio.com. Listen to the podcast version of this show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now I believe it might be that special time where we bring on our guest, Daniel. Yes, I believe it's time to get right into the itty-gritty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, and remember, everybody, you can join us mm-hmm. at endofdaysradio.com, Saturday night, 7.30 Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, and I think our first guest might be here. Uh, William, are you there? Oh, maybe he's not there. That's a little too bad, Daniel. I thought he might have uh, been here. No, I, I don't think he's here. Oh, maybe he Hi, might. I'm here. Oh, there William, he is. there you are. Hello. Well, yeah. I hit the wrong button. Oh, Sorry. it's okay. And uh, hello and welcome to End of Days Radio. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, how are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Always fantastic when I'm behind the mic here interviewing great people like yourself. Right. Thanks. Glad to be here. For sure. Now, this is your first rodeo here on this program, so I would like you to uh, introduce yourself to those out there who just happened to stumble across this program tonight. Uh, my name is William Ramsey. I'm a writer. I've written three books. One is uh, Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. The second is Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders. My most recent book is Children of the Beast, Alistair Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity. And I've made a bunch of videos at my YouTube site, which is Occult Investigations. I have tons of videos on the West Memphis Three and a wide variety of other subjects that are more esoteric or occult in nature. And I'm really just a researcher. I uh, was kind of a person who got frustrated with uh, mainstream media and even alternative media for not uh, looking into certain subjects that I thought were important. So yeah, this is awesome. You're you're talking about stuff that's very relevant to our show, End of Days Radio. Great. And so I think that that's really it. That's really why I became a person who wrote it. And I think a lot of people wouldn't believe some of the stuff I've written about, but I think the books prove, and all my books are, are copiously footnoted, prove uh, a lot, a wide variety of different issues and concerning what, 9-11, yeah, and, uh, the mm-hmm. West Memphis Three, Aleister Crowley, and Satanism and the occult in general. 
And what, oh man, what do we talk about? They're all so good. <laughs> yes. What what exactly sparked your interest in this field of of research? I'm actually was a 9/11 kind of truth person. Oh, I was okay. A, a so that's right. In. I I was studying 9/11 and I noticed there were things I was never. I probably the closest I got to the occult was listening to heavy metal music and maybe thumbing through like a satanic Bible once or something like that, but never really. Oh, are you listening to some Ozzy Osbourne? Of course, Ozzy Osbourne. Like I grew up on like Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Maiden, you know, just all the stuff that was common back then. Uh, what else? Just, you know, all the heavy Judas metal Metallica, Priest. Judas Priest, some of it, you know, uh, different, all different styles, but you know, that was, and th- those themes were esoteric and occult, some of them, especially mm-hmm. Iron Maiden. You know, you find out later that the lead singer, Bruce Dickinson is a serious Aleister Crowley, uh, person or devotee but really i was a 9-11 person i just noticed all these numbers kept showing up i actually read a guy by the name of uh, may his captain may he was a military guy who noticed all these 11s and i noticed it too and i did the numerology matter and i think through research uh, the numerology of 9-11 is significant and all those numbers are important in the occult 9-11 93 77 and 175 and that's that's really what led me to alistair crowley so i think that the entire event of 9-11 that even the day the structure of the buildings, the event, the times, all those things were carefully thought out and uh, placed in order at a time and a date for specific purposes. I think it's safe to say that uh, Aleister Crowley and his influence is still as strong as ever. I think so. And I think that if you read Abomination, you'll see that all these guys are interested in Crowley. They have an interest, some more than others. Uh, but this is an important event that's happening now. And even if you read like Children of the Beast, there are people out there who are still Crowleyites, you know, people who can trace their occult lineage back to Aleister Crowley. So I think, and if you look at the music people are playing and all these pop stars with, you know, things, things that say do what thou wilt or Crowley t-shirts, you can tell that uh, it, it has an effect, just like you said. Yeah, these are pretty wild times. We definitely see symbolism in movies and music on and TV and very openly as well. Agreed. So... It's, uh, you know, I do, I did, I made it like a little cheapo movie called The Cult Hollywood, like five years ago. If you want to watch it, you can watch it on VOD. But even back then, I was looking at all the symbols through all these movies that trace, that, that reflect knowledge from the real world. Like, for example, Fight Club, great movie, but there's all kinds of hidden things in there. For example, that trace back to 9-11 at the very end scene there, well, close to the end, the uh, spherical caryatid rolls down this steps of stairs into a Starbucks very thematic. There's actually a Starbucks cup in every scene of that movie, by the way. But uh, that, that spherical caryatid was at the very center of the World Trade Center, uh, the same symbol. And then at the end, the buildings blow down kind of in a, a nod to 9-11. And, oh, uh, I'm sad to hear that because that's like my second favorite movie of all time. It's Dude, there's all kinds of occult stuff in there. There's all kinds. There's stuff in there I don't really want to divulge, but the guy, those guys, whoever wrote that, directed it, had a very deep knowledge, very sharp. That whole story is just so, so it's an entertaining, but I can see how there might be some sort of occult stuff going on in there, the different personalities and all of that. Right. It's like a split personality, right? The whole story is about a split personality. Yeah. Ideal, the great film. Ideal, yeah. Yeah. Love that. Gathering together. Yeah. There's a lot. I think it's a pretty heavy duty book. I, I do. I'm a book and a movie. By the but way, that's I- just one example. So the occult, just getting back to the general theme, I think it's an important uh, avenue of discussion to understand the world through art, because of political events, through the arts, and even sciences, in a sense, are, are in some ways are influenced by, you know, those sensibilities of people wanting to discover thing and hold things and help hold it on to the knowledge for themselves. Before we even get any further, I, I must ask you before I even forget, 
Um, I think I might have heard you reference Jordan Maxwell before. Um, what exactly is your opinion on him? I don't think I've ever talked about Maxwell, but I know that's not his real name. And I know he has, uh, I've seen some of the court documents he's been involved in. And I think that he has made very flattering comments about Madame Blavatsky, who uh-huh. uh, was a 19th century occultist. I, so I, I, you know, there's a couple of people out there who might be deluding or fooling people into thinking that they are uh, telling them the truth when they're not. I've heard stuff that he's backed, uh, backed by like the Freemasons, like they watch out for him. That's what I've heard that he has secret side, secret society connections, just like Michael Tsarion. Same with Tsarion. Tsarion himself has loved Crowley. You know, there's a video. If you go to Occult Investigations on my YouTube channel, you can hear Tsarion say Crowley was this wonderful man that's misunderstood. But my readings of Crowley, Crowley was a demonic person who hated Christianity, mocked Christ, said the most blasphemous things he could. Uh, was a pedophile, beat women, drove people insane, drank blood, um, and did awful, monstrous things. So, so he, 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 you say Crowley was a pedophile? Yes. Oh wow! Can yeah, you Northern, tell us a little bit? Northern, well, he in his, in, I think it's in his biography. He talks about traveling North Africa after he got kicked out of Sicily by Mussolini in 1923. He traveled to North Africa and said he was traveling with a catamite. C a t a m i t e. If you want to look that up. Uh, it'll tell you everything you know or need to know. And for those out there curious, um, our guest is is not an occultist or anything like that. No. no. Yeah, some people are, are already asking, so. No, not a practicing occultist. I was raised as a Catholic. I consider myself a Bible-believing Christian. I'm not an occultist. I'm a researcher, a researcher into the occult, really. Uh, okay, I just looked that up. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. Creepy, creepy stuff. It's yeah. very creepy. And what's your opinion on, on all of these Hollywood directors who place all these occult uh, related things in their videos? What do I think about them? Right. Well, I think that they're just expressing, you know, the the kind of uh, zeitgeist of the age, which is, you know, the occult is going to help you get money, wealth and power. So I think that uh, unfortunately, Hollywood, in my experiences of being in L.A. and all these people, that it's pervasive. It's actually the rule not the exception. And uh, so a lot of those people who come up in that system either become uh, associated with, and this is, goes back 20, 30, 40 years, become associated with, become involved in it for their own advancement. What about um, Grammy? And I, do, and I do think like they go on set and these other people make them do this. Oh, put this up to your eye. Make this gesture. You yeah. Know? So there might be the photographers. That's what I figured. Something like that too, or the directors just telling them what to do. So they may not even know, but they all want to be a star. Or they want to, you know, pick up their paycheck. So they do what they're told. Yeah. Well, we, I did want to ask you, is Miley Cyrus one of these people? Do you personally believe she's one? I think it's a perfect example of somebody. If you look at Miley Cyrus before she hit Hollywood, uh, this is like a country girl who sang Dolly Parton songs. And then she goes, and becomes this pop star with all kinds of, you know, that's pretty bizarre, provocative yeah. stuff. They can't accept <laughs> sticking her tongue out, you know. So I think it's part sales and part uh, culture, you know. Pretty bizarre that, change there. Yeah, I think that that elicits um, people's interest. I think some people probably associate with the occult just because people search online and, and get spooked out because all these people are trying to research words like Illuminati or something like that. And speaking of music. Uh, we often hear how Grammy performances are are rituals uh, per se. Um, what's your thought on that? Well, I think I think I've seen some, like the one with uh, 
uh, Katy Perry. Those are all ritualized, you know, was a dark horse, the one that she did. And then there's the Super Bowl thing where she comes out riding the woman who rides the beast, which is straight out of Crowley and Revelations, uh, the symbol of the beast and the scarlet woman. Crowley she's himself. so beautiful too. My God. Yeah. Well, she comes, she comes out of woman riding the beast. She, uh, you know, is basically doing this marriage. Crowley had this thing called the marriage of the scarlet woman and the beast. It's like they're control, they're controlling us with her beauty. Oh, maybe. I mean, I, I think it's more than that, but probably. I think, you know, that's probably half of what some of those pop stars bank on is, is their looks, right? Yeah. And quick fact about Crowley. He, he preferred his name to be pronounced Crowley because it rhymed with holy. Right. That's right. Very creepy. Yeah. So that was from one of his poems called The Beetle. So Correct. why did he call himself, what, what's all this beast symbiology? Why did he call himself the great beast? So he grew up in a rigid um, Christian sect called the Plymouth Brethren. But he was actually a, in a subset of the Plymouth Brethren called the Exclu- Exclusive Brethren. And their kind of leader was a guy by the name of uh, John Nelson Darby, if I remember. And who had, he was a dispensationalist, but he was very severe in his actions. And so Corley and his parents um, had that kind of thing. His dad was actually a pamphleteer who'd walk around and gave out Christian literature. And his father died when he was 12, and he was left in the hands of his mother and his uncle. And he wrote about them in a book called The World's Tragedy, which references Christ as the world's tra- tragedy. But he called them like cold, bo- they were singing cold boiled Jesus all the time. But they also, he knew all the, Corley was a very, um, skilled Bible scholar. He knew all it. But what he's, when he wrote, he said he was attracted to, uh, all of the imagery from the book of Re- Revelations, the beast, scarlet woman. And his mom would call him a beast when he was a kid. And that's how it, it stuck. He became the beast 666. What's your, and so all that imagery kind of is infused within his religious doctrines of, uh, you know, what he called Belima, which is a Greek word for the will. Another, uh, gentleman I, I did want your opinion on is, Alex Jones, um, of course, we've all seen the footage of Bohemian Grove that he allegedly uh, taped himself. Um, you've seen that footage, correct? Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your thought on that? Well, I do. I do. Um, you know, he has an interesting career. That's what I will say. He has employed people from Stratfor, which is a intelligence front um, people, and he refuses to acknowledge that publicly. But privately, people have known that. So. That is, never looks good on anybody who is supposed to be an independent, um, you know, what are they calling him now? Alt-right commentator? Something like and, that, yeah. Yeah, and the, the kind of person who uh, preceded Alex Jones was a guy by the name of Milton Cooper. Yeah, and Bill, I was... Bill, Bill Cooper. Yeah. And he thought Jones was a fraud. He put that on record. Correct, and right I was just about to right right say that to you. Exactly. Yeah. Then he gets killed very suspiciously in the middle of the night and kind of Jones took his place. And that's actually, if you look at uh, events in the United States and it's actually very common around the world when elites decide somebody is a threat for them. Well, I, I won't say that here. I'll tell you guys offline, but you know, no, we're, we're already pretty much dead. <laughs> we're, yeah. We're pretty much deep into this. Well, if you, if you look at these people who like when Martin Luther King died, you know, the person who came right after him was Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson actually got caught putting fake blood onto his uh, onto his shirt. And here's Jesse Jackson, this mm. person who was, didn't fight against the Vietnam War. You know, there were certain places that Jesse Jackson wouldn't go that Martin Luther King did. And, uh, you know, so you see this 
this change in these leaders are are sophisticated. It's not just around. I mean, the, for me, the Martin Luther King murder is a conspiracy. And uh, so you see policy changes like that, just like JFK. JFK dies. He's replaced by Johnson. And Johnson has a completely different opinion on Vietnam. Bam. We just gear up and go to Vietnam. Policy changed. Same thing with MLK and Jesse Jackson. Uh, and I think something very similar happened with the death of uh, Bill Cooper and Alex Jones. Yeah. I at least know for sure that the FBI was blackmailing Martin Luther King. That's something you can see on Wikipedia. If they're going to yeah. do that, of course, yeah. they probably killed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was he I think he even knew something was coming. Uh, he was really a threat. I think he was a threat to the social order and the people who really run the country. Uh, you know, they make decisions like that. And they actually I think those decisions happen frequently. I do, I do think that happened in different administrations that, you know, I don't really feel comfortable talking about, but I think that it happens. You know, they just decide this person is against this war and we're going to war and bam, you're gone. Look at the guy Kelly from uh, what was the guy with the dodgy dossier from England. He's up there saying, oh, no, this is all baloney. And then he ends up going for a walk and ends up dead. Yeah, it seems like there's uh, various amounts of random deaths happening now. It's happening right now under the Clinton thing. Look it's at this scary. Hillary Clinton thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. The guy, Seth Rich, dies in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Julian Assange says we're going to put a $20,000 reward for Seth. Why is he saying that? Because there's some kind of attachment between WikiLeaks and Seth Rich, which he tacitly admitted to in an interview. And then Assange's lawyer gets pushed in front of a train in June. And this is some kind of not some kind of chump lawyer. This is a guy who's killed at seven o'clock in the morning who works at the same law firm as as uh, it's Amal Clooney, George Clooney's wife. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So these are all high powered people. And this guy who was killed, Jones, this lawyer, he was working. It gets really heavy. It's probably some of the most hardcore international intrigue you could imagine. But he was working for. Uh, the Libyan government. He was working for two guys at the Libyan government who were set to be killed. What he was trying to do was create a change of venue uh, to The Hague, which is a much more lenient uh, jurisdiction where they don't put you to death. And so there, he was tied up in all kinds of Libyan, not only with Assange, but tied up with all kinds of Libyan stuff, which is really heavy duty because that country got just flattened. I mean, it's These are dangerous times, William. Super dangerous, man. Super dangerous. Uh, it, it really is. We live in just the most bizarre times you can ever imagine. I, I think imagine. that if you look back in history, the unfortunate truth is that that's always kind of been happening. Conspiracies and conspiratorial behavior, it's always, I think, unfortunately, it's always been there. If you go even back into, you want to talk about ancient history, Caesarism, you want to talk even to the Bible. People are familiar with the New Testament. The whole thing is conspiratorial. I mean, it's just one big conspiracy. Somebody trying to uh, undo the other, you know? Correct. So, you mentioned the JFK assassination yes. earlier. That's a pretty clear-cut case of oh, conspiracy, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. There's so much stuff there that's that doesn't add up. I mean, I think the cover-up is even evidence of the conspiracy itself. Because there's all kinds of nonsense that happened with JFK. There's a lot of weird stuff that happened with that entire family. Oh yeah, yeah, it's Just it's a, weird. Are, are they cursed or something? What, what's the, the deal with the Kennedys? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it goes back to the same theme. If people want policy changes and you're standing in the way, they'll take steps to make sure that that happens. And I think the Kennedys have a different view of things. That there's another party that has a different view, and those come into conflict, and then the Kennedys unfortunately are on the victim end. That took a lot of balls from them to stand up to the whole thing, right? 
I would say so. I mean, I think yeah. that Kennedy was an interesting guy. There's a really good book called The Unspeakable, uh, which is about the Kennedy assassination. Who talked about Kennedy, who kind of wasn't well. He was very, actually, a very ill person uh, physically, and he had kind of a death wish. If you read about The Unspeakable, I think he knew he was going to go down. A lot of these guys do. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's just a very sad case. I mean, he really was, there were some real crazies. If you read about Lyme, Lyman Lemnitzer, who was one of these top generals who was talking about the uh, the whole thing where they were going to frame Cuba, what do they call that, that came out? They were going to frame Cuba for a, a plane bombing. Um, but they had some crazy ideas, you know, that uh, I can't remember what the something documents, totally blanking on it. But anyway, that was happening back then, false flag type stuff, you know? Yeah, and another thing I, I did want your opinion on was extraterrestrials. It seemed like Crowley allegedly summoned an entity back in 1918 by the name of Lamb. Right, right. but sure, he called yes. Lamb. That's a titular name. It's important that people remember that. It's Lamb like Llama, like they call a Correct. Llama, mm-hmm. the Llama. So. Yeah, well, do you think that actually happened through uh, that sex magic ritual? You know, I have to go back. When I have to admit, when I studied Crowley, I really looked at him from a political perspective and kind of what his personality was like. I didn't get that much into his magical practices. I'm aware of his magical practices, but I think that that came out of something called the Alamantra, one of his workings. He always called these big magical workings were like things that took days, you know? Yeah, the Alamantra workings, I think it's called. Yeah, so he, that was New York. He was in New York at the time, and that was put into his encyclopedia. That picture's in his encyclopedia called the Equinox, which he made over like 10 years. Um, I've read but, stuff suggesting that Crowley even somehow created the apocalypse or created the end of days. Like he kicked it off somehow with some of his work. He was workings. trying to. He said that the book, the receipt of the Book of the Law, which he had received in 1904, he claimed that if people didn't abide by it, the world would go into incredible upheavals. And um, there was the World War One, which people thought was the war to end all wars. They didn't even have any concept of World War Two. But Crowley did this thing. He had a follower by the name of Gerald. He had these really like strange, absurd public stunts. And one was in front of he did it over two days in London in front of. Uh, Cleopatra's Needle, which is a obelisk in London near the Thames, Thames River, the Thames, between two sphinxes, which are symbols of magic, uh, which the uh, cultists use and both Masons use. But he had these ridiculous things. He said, you better abide by this or this world's going to go through another upheaval. I think it was in 38 or 39, and then the war started and 60 million people died. So um, he claims to, that was the energy he claimed to have. I don't know, you know, sometimes he was kind of a showman. He always did things public. He didn't mind having a bad reputation. So him causing those wars, you know, I don't know. Yeah, there seems to be a strange uh, possible connection between aliens and the occult. I think there's, I think there are, I think there are very solid connections actually. Um, uh, Crowley's one of Crowley's followers, a guy who sat next to him at his when Crowley was dying in his later days. He went to Southern England in this place called Hastings, and he stayed in kind of a higher end boarding house. And this guy by the name of Kenneth Grant came to live with it, live with him. Yeah. And Kenneth Grant started writing books about contacting Lamb. His whole uh, religion, his whole offshoot of Crowley was contacting extraterrestrials and talking about how. And if you read his books, it's all about extra preacher. They call them preacher human contacts and how they were going to influence the world and how people were going to freak out when these beings showed up, you know. 
So I think that calling these beings aliens is actually a misnomer. I don't think it's fully correct. They're really spirits, you know? Uh, so Yeah, I've heard that people referring to them as uh, spirits. And of course, there's been abductions over the years, as you know. Um, what are your opinion on these people that are abducted by uh, these greys? Like I said, they may be misinterpreting what happened. That's my that's opinion. A, yeah, that's so a the, the, the language and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, people in the kind of this kind of modern era have moved away from the spiritual worldview. They're very practical. They see things in scientific terms. So I think that they're interpreting these events in scientific terms. The strange thing and what uh, the same phenomena, the so-called alien phenomena or d- abduction phenomena fits certain characteristics where these people wake up in their home already. So it makes you think that they didn't even leave that. It's some kind of dream type of event. And a lot of these people have like they, it's kind of like sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis, where, mm-hmm. where people say the name of Christ and everything disappears. The whole group of people start praying and they're returned. So um, I've read those events. So, and I do think that there are people within the alien community, these the UFO who are um, devious actors is a good way to use it. I think that they're actually either making up stories or promoting stories to promote a a hidden agenda or Correct. for their financial gain. Have yeah. you ever seen Stephen Greer? Yes, I have. Yeah. If you watch that guy, man. He is intros to some of his videos. They're totally occult. I saw this one thing where lightning came out of heaven and struck a tree, and I was like, holy crap, how can people not see this? <laughs> because that symbol yes. is the symbol of Satan. It's like a Lucifer, the lightning bolt of Lucifer hits the tree right. of knowledge, and that's the benefit of people. And then I saw Stephen Greer. They like to make these poses, like the thinking man. Put your your hand on your chin. Yeah, that's I saw interesting. That and I was like, what the hell? This guy's a fraud. I could tell right from the beginning. Then that's I interesting that you bring that up, because I... I have heard so many people say that there's actually a Luciferian religion in our uh, behind our government and out there in the occult world. Is do you believe that as well? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a very small proportion of people, but I do think that and there's been this strain in the Western occult tradition where Lucifer, the light bearer, is a benefit to man. He taught them knowledge, and Crowley himself kind of says it himself. He says Satan is a light bearer who taught man knowledge to determine between good and evil. You know. And I think that that those are the people who are really the most dangerous. They're really the scariest because their internal doctrines are very different than their external statements, you know. But uh yeah, hundred percent do. And that goes back to Lavatsky, the symbol of Prometheus is the symbol of the devil, this light bearing person who brought fire from heaven. That's why you see this golden Prometheus in Rockefeller Center, you know, that's shown in movies all the time. Yeah, another one I've heard so much about, as you mentioned, Madame Blavatsky, she seems like she's almost kind of the founder of some of this New World Order stuff. Is that correct? You know, I can't say that I've studied a lot of Blavatsky, but she, for her age, she impressed a lot of people. She was kind of like a precursor to Crowley and some of these other people like Manly P. Hall. She was really a collector of knowledge from the East, brought it West, syncretized it, and created these kind of new doctrines of occult doctrines. And... She got, you know, a lot of people claim she was a heavy duty uh, plagiarizer. She had these huge books, which I'm not surprised if she was a plagiarizer. Her maiden name was Von Hohn, so she was ethnically German. And uh, that's probably why the, her doctrines of like the root races and the seven main races for the Aryan race on the top was so attractive to Hitler, you know. And who, who the, or the rumor what is, and I've never confirmed this, is that her book is on was on his bedside table. Yeah, um, interesting enough. I'm um, going back to ETs really quickly here. 
Um, most people who seem to be abducted by these beings, they often say how they are benevolent beings and they're here to spread positive messages. Um, what's your opinion on, on that? Like you said, are these people just being misled? You know, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't know. I've looked into the ET stories. I've looked in. I can't say that I'm a specialist, but I don't think, uh, I don't think they're benevolent and I don't think, uh, you know, it's, I just, I just don't think that they're often truthful. So I, I can't say, I don't think, I, I, I just don't think that, you know, that these events, like we're here to help you. Well, how, what have they done to help us? You know, yeah. supposedly this entity. I, so, I think about that too. And, well, you know, it's just like the same thing. They cause people, they freak the, the crap out of people. People are afraid of them. That's yeah. usually the common response to an honest so-called alien encounter, you know, mm-hmm. which, uh, should it, tell you a lot. You know? It seems like you're kind of suggesting that these might be fallen angels or demons. Yeah, I would say that that would be my my impression. General is it is that those that they are external from the they're not some figment of people's imaginations that they do exist. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. They're, some, they're from some other dimension. You know, that's my my thing. Yeah, if you read my book, it's actually beans. I, I came across an interesting discussion in my book Children of the Beast, which you can get at my website at coldinvestigations.com. But it was a discussion between one of Crowley's followers, or two of them, called one guy was Grady McMurtry, who was with Crowley uh, from the beginning and kind of carried his OTO to the United States, a guy by the name of Robert Anton Wilson, who wrote the Illuminati trilogy. And a lot of his symbols were in, inter- integrated. All of his symbols were integrated in what's known as the Illuminati card game, uh, which people reference all the time, oh, yeah. which are very spooky. And people are like, how do people know this? Well, the guy who wrote it was a Crowley fan and an occultist. And then a third guy was a guy by the name of Jacques Vallée, who a lot of people... Oh, yes. Kind of, they're having the discussion in my book, and I think it's an important discussion about what UFOs are. And their opinions, at the end of the day, is not that they're from some... Uh, they're not extraterrestrial. They're not outside of our terrier terrestrial. They're extra-dimensional. So um, it's an interesting conversation between these people. Yeah, the OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis... Uh, very, very trippy stuff there. And I also found it very bizarre that L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons were also so into Crowley's work. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I think that's one of the remarkable aspects of Scientology that people overlook is that... And they do it all the time. Hubbard came out of the OTO in 1940. He was in the OTO in 1940. I see this all the time. He was in the OTO in 1946 with Parsons. They were doing all kinds of ritual stuff. They were doing OTO rituals. 1948... Hubbard starts Dianetics in 1950s, starts Scientology. It's all very close to each other. Very you know, close. It wasn't something he came right out of the OTO and the occult, right into Scientology and Dianetics. And well, there was one guy, if you want to read about him, it's a really good book about Scientology. It's called The Peace of Blue Sky by John Atak, A-T-A-C-K. You can see it online, but he, Atak was surprised. He was a guy who was fled Scientology, but he was surprised after studying Hubbard that the person who influenced the Hubbard the most was Aleister Crowley. And that's no surprise. Yeah, it shouldn't be surprising. All that stuff, if you read into Scientology and what they promise, and I have this in Children of the Beast, it's they're promising people the original temptation out of the Garden of Eden. You shall be as gods. And you can have power over matter, energy, space, and time. You can go through past lives. You can be reincarnated. You can affect all kinds of changes. And it's all there, man. And even Hubbard himself, he thought he was the reincarnation of... uh, Rhodes, the guy who was kind of the conqueror of South Africa and the African continent and Zimbabwe. And that's why Hubbard would travel to Zimbabwe. Back, back in the day, it was Rhodesia. And you can see Hubbard dressed up in these clothes that uh, exactly resemble 
roads. And that was Hubbard's idea. I mean, that was Hubbard's grandiose mentality of himself is that he was going to smash his way into history, whatever way he could. He had this. That's why he was the most one of these influential cult leaders. And also at one time, Hubbard was the most published author in the world in the Guinness Book of World Records. It's a remarkable feat. Like he had that much stuff. And his son, I include most of his son's observations in my book, Children of the Beast, because he was right there in the 50s talking about his dad handling all this Crowley material for the next day's lectures. And all these early uh, all these early Hubbard lectures from the early 50s reference Crowley. Talks about Crowley as this magician and all these books and stuff like that. And his, his son was right there with him, man, right there from the beginning, 1950 to 1958, seeing all that stuff. And here's this religion that we're still grappling with today. Sometimes. Correct. And I also must ask you uh, your opinion on Marshall Applewhite, uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, a cult leader. Very, uh, very crazy man. Yeah, I, I can't say I've researched, researched him very much, but I do think that he, I mean, from what I read, he was he was uh, interesting. Unbalanced. Yeah. Yeah, they, he just you know, was really mentally, and he just wasn't well. He, of course not, and he had uh, lots of charisma, I must say. Yeah, I can't say I know that much about it. Do you know? Does he have an occult background? I mean, I know they were talking about something was behind the common or whatever, right? There was some kind of thing that they were going to ascend to. Yes, and that and was back all, in... They uh, closed and, you know. Yeah, and that all ended in 97, by the way, right. for those curious 39 members of that group. What uh, was the name of it again? Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate, that's right. Yeah, that was uh, wild, wild stuff. And, um, you know, we've been talking about uh, portals. Uh, you know, obviously Crowley was trying to open a portal with uh, one of his rituals there, and that reminds me so much, um, and I can't forget about it. Now, um, your opinion on CERN? I haven't researched it that much, to be honest with you. What's your opinion of it? Well, many people think that they're trying to open some sort of portal themselves. And I think it's uh, pretty interesting. I know, um, what was it, a week or two ago when they had some sort of... A uh, fake ritual? Yeah, a fake ritual out there in front of the statue of Shiva. And, of course, I think that's uh, pretty interesting in itself that they would be doing anything like that, even if it's a joke. Yeah, I agree. I think that's... They know there's an audience out there who will try to figure out what the heck's going on. I mean, that I think that captured the imagination of a lot of people. People asked me about that. I was on an interview last week, and they're like, what do you think about this whole thing? I said, right. I, I was looking at it. I was like, that looks exactly like CERN. How we would fake that Shiva statue and all that stuff? So I, yeah, One, of, one of the craziest video. stories that I've they did. heard was the one about Jack Parsons summoning the UFO or opening a portal over Area 51 or something like that. Have you heard that story? Yeah, so they used to mm-hmm. go out into the desert. They would right. go out into the Mojave and drive out and do rituals. and you know, there were all these things about UFOs, about him and entities and stuff like that. But uh, the specifics of him going to 51 and opening up and summoning uh, things is I just never I didn't read anything about that. I do know that he supposedly summoned a storm to uh, keep Hubbard from fleeing with his money and his boats when he was in Florida. He claimed to do that. And he also Hubbard, uh, Parsons took the oath of the Antichrist. He claimed to be a total Antichrist. And now he had strange names and. He was engaged in all kinds of uh, odd behavior. He was, uh, he really went the distance. He said he saw Satan when he was a teenager, you know. And so a lot of these guys, even covered himself, had, uh, he said he wrote the, read the book of the law when he was 15. Like he was attracted to that from a very early age. Uh, so. Yeah, that's a, uh, kind of bizarre to be, uh, into that sort of thing at an early age. Yeah. Yeah, it's unique, I would say. 
But it's it's interesting. Jimmy Page, Jimmy Page himself said he started reading Crowley in his teens, and that's a huge Crowley follower. So a lot of these guys are attracted to the occult from their in their early age. A lot of the really well known people. A lot of musicians are very much into it. Absolutely, you could write a book on the musicians. You really could. There's so many. Oh, it's probably John Lennon wasn't was a follower as well, right? So the the Beatles had an attraction or attachment to Crowley. They had Crowley on the cover of Sergeant. I mean, Crowley may have been Sergeant Pepper. Uh, So Crowley, they sing in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It's 20 years to go today. Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. Well, they had that album in 1967. Crowley died in 1947. Sergeant Pepper's like black. So Sergeant is like a honorific, right? So, uh, but they said, you know, they said in all kinds of interviews, you know, the reason for the Beatles is to do what you want. And even, uh, in one point, uh, Paul McCartney said, you know, the Beatles were all about magic with a K. That's the way Crowley spo- spelled it. K is the 11th letter of the alphabet. 11 is the number of magic. So, um, and, and they were probably the most influential change agents of anybody in the 20th century, really, about changing culture and people's opinion towards drugs and, you know, changing their clothing and their habits, really, out of the, from the kind of staid post-war 50s. These people had such a powerful influence on musicians, including um, Charles Manson. Yeah. Uh, what is it about these people that these musicians find so interesting that they flock to them? I think that, you know, the Beatles were, uh, really advanced. They were the avant-garde back then. And so everybody kind of copied them, but they had their ideas. And I think that maybe the subtle occultism from the white album, stuff like that. I mean, I heard something that there were lyrics from the white album at Charlie Manson's place at Spawn Ranch before the white album was actually, um, was actually produced. And that Charles Manson may have actually ran in to the Beatles when they were part of, well, actually John Lennon was partying at, the mansion that the that was on Cielo Drive where all those people got killed no, prior to the death. So that they had so Manson and the Beatles may have had the connection that nobody talks about. Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Jim Morrison, Mr. Crowley. My goodness, uh, David Bowie. There, there's so many, and of course your favorite band, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, all those guys. I have. Oh, if you that. go to my YouTube site at Cold Investigations, you'll see the part of the movie that Bruce Dickinson produced about Aleister Crowley. Uh, it's called Crowley or Marriage, uh, the Chemical Wedding. It's either one. It's uh, it has a different title in England, but in but, the states it was released as Crowley. By the but way, you see uh, Bruce Dickinson in the film, um, where where the Crowley is at his place in Hastings. It was called Netherwood, and it's really a good piece. There was some really good acting in that film. Unfortunately, it was it was a flawed movie. But uh, by the way, William, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Um, we do have a caller, and good. I think they might have a question for you. Let's let's check in here. Caller, you are on the line. You are live here. What's going on? Um, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we could hear you. What's going on? This is an incredible interview. Oh, my God, what an uh, amazing guest. Oh, You're he's, very knowledgeable. He's fantastic. Um, wow, you've got my mind. You're taking my mind. I'm a Crowley expert. Okay. And you're How pretty you knowledgeable. I studied him when I was a young child. Um, I learned how to read before everyone else could, uh-huh. and then I, uh, my parents encouraged me to just go read books, and I found the Golden Dawn. And uh oh, oh, I'm still here. Oh, what happened there? That was starting to get good. Yeah, that was starting to get good here. Um, oh wow, I, I might have. Well, actually, I don't know what happened there. I think we might have lost him. G- give us a call back, Todd, please. Yeah, give us a, a call back, Todd. I know you uh, are out there listening. I'm not sure what happened there. 
talking to those guys who start um, the occult very early is very interesting. They have a totally different worldview and mind frame and stuff like that. What's your guys' background? Have you had any readings in the occult? Are you Christians, Buddhists? I uh, practice no uh, religion. I'm not an atheist. Um, I I think there might be something. Um, Probably, I would have to say I'm an agnostic. Um, But, yeah, I don't really follow any religion. And um, I really really couldn't say much further than that. Good. Sounds like you're pretty well read, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I have friends who are Satanist and, and things, and of course we get into these conversations, and um, they kind of know my stance, and I, I don't think any of them are are crazy. Well, the ones I've met, I don't, I have no uh, bad judgment uh, on them to say here. They all mm-hmm. seem like uh, great people so far. <laughs> gotcha. But, I've had all kinds of stuff happen, like. Uh, UFO sightings that really sent me down a path of being kind of obsessed with this paranormal world and eventually discovering the conspiracy side of things, looking at the money and the symbolism and finally just looking into it enough before I was convinced. And that led into researching things like ritual magic. And, you know, I, I don't know as much about Crowley as some of the people out there, but I, I've read all kinds of strange stories. I know he uh, he bought a castle on Loch Ness, something like Bullskin, that. Where he would do. Bullskin, yeah. yeah, me and Daniel both have had a very strange um, experiences, and I'll mention one right now, but um, I, I do want to quickly say, Todd, if you are out there, please go ahead and call back. I'm not sure why uh, the cod dropped, so please feel free to call back in here at 760-332-8724. That's 760-332-8724. So go ahead and give us a call. And um, one experience that I, I had um, very early on, the earliest experience I've ever had, uh, William, and that was uh, the old hag syndrome, also known as a sleep paralysis. And, right. you know, if you look into that, um, when that happens to you at such an early age, they say that your life is sort of going to be plagued with uh, health issues. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Has that been true? Uh, sort of, yeah. I mean, I, I've had um, one night, or yeah, it kind of was midnight, midnight, midday, when I experienced um, multiple seizures in, in one uh, day, William, and doctors never understood why. And uh, soon after that, um, perhaps, well, actually, before even any of that happened, after the whole sleep paralysis thing, after that, perhaps maybe a year or so later, I I actually thought I might have heard my deceased grandmother in in the kitchen. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How many episodes of sleep paralysis have you had? Uh, only two. That's the exact same amount I've had. Really? Did you do when you when they happened to you? How long did they ha- How long did they last for? I would have to say about a m- maybe two minutes. Two minutes. Oh, that's long. It is pretty long. Yeah. I, long. I, I've had sleep paralysis. I can say in a just total, I couldn't move. I literally, and I kind of felt like something was on my chest. That oh, it's scary. I have, I prayed to Jesus Christ. Actually, when I, in my mind, I said, Lord Jesus, come back. And it's broke just like that. That was it. So yeah, my, I had a, my suggestion to my, you is you oh, pray, sorry, pray to the Lord, pray to Jesus Christ when that happens. I, I've heard people tell me that before about praying. There's a, there's a really good book by Chris White. 
called sleep paralysis, and it's about that from a Christian perspective. Uh-huh. The phenomenon of sleep paralysis. You know, I suggest you and your listeners take a look at that. Oh, yeah, that's a great Chris suggestion. White, sleep paralysis. Chris White. Yeah, I'll have to write that down here. And um, another thing, interesting enough, happened to me when um, I was saying on this very show, if if I don't go out, because I, I went to uh, this event called Contact in the Desert, uh, William, this mm-hmm. big uh, UFO conference out there in, in uh, Joshua Tree, California. Mm-hmm. And on this program, I, I was just Nonstop, I was saying, if I don't see anything and if I don't experience anything uh, re- referring to UFOs, I-, I was done with with this program in terms of ever referring to UFOs and ETs. I- I- that was it. I'm done with it. I'm never going to bring on another guest that has anything to do with that subject. And and sure enough, William, I not only saw a strange uh, purple orb in the sky. Um, something happened in, in my room, sir, Interesting. where it seemed like a, a big, bright white light engulfed the entire room for a, maybe a second or two and then just went away. Interesting. Correct. I don't know what the hell that was, but, um, it, it didn't feel uh, negative whatsoever. It felt good, but it, it sure the hell frightened me. Um, I really don't know what to say. Do you know how the Joshua tree got its name? Um, I, I don't, sir. So there was there were these old Mormons who were traveling from well, there were Mormons from Utah to California, and in the distance they saw this tree, and it looked like Joshua praying in heaven from the Bible, and that's how it got its name, Joshua Tree. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. It has a kind of a religious uh, ah, religious provenance. That's pretty. But cool. uh, that's I mean, I think that the phenomenon is real. What people are experiencing is real. The 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 causation of that experience, I think. In different environments and circumstances is different. If you're outside and you see something flying in the sky, it's a completely different phenomenon than in your room and you see little green men who take you somewhere and lie down on the table, you know? So have you heard these stories of these shadow beings being I have not. I've only heard of like the sleep paralysis. I've actually never really heard of a sleep paralysis where people see something. They just experience a phenomenon. I've I've heard of people like things sitting at the back of people's beds. And I know that I do believe in uh, possession. I do believe in spiritual, satanic, like exorcist type possessions. I'd actually yeah. A lot of people are taking this drug called Flata, which some believe are opening portals and making people become possessed. I'll tell you, I had a guy, pretty lucid guy that I know who, uh, you know, was younger, told me his story where they did LSD together and experienced the same supernatural phenomenon at the same time. So I do believe that. You know, those drugs can, uh, you know, degrade or erode the barriers of people's perceptions from this world and some other place. By the way, William, we are joined by a caller right now. Um, caller, you are on the line. What's going on? Or maybe they're not there. So we're going to go to the other line. And I believe the other line we have on Todd, who called in a second, uh, a second ago. Todd, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear, Todd. Okay, the last time the Illuminati cut me off, when I mentioned the Golden Dawn, um, they shut me down. So I'm back. Perfect. Um, so I wanted to say a couple things. Man, what an incredible guest. Um, for, for one second, sir, allow me just to say a couple things. Go for it. When I was young, I read Crowley books. I found him when I was really young, like you said, in the heavy metal and the rock and roll. I'm 50 now. I found Crowley when I was 13. Um, I'm independent. There's lots of magical fraternities around. 
but I went uh, solo. Uh, I got friends in those fraternities, though. And um, and so I know what you're talking about when you sit you when you talk about the fraternities. Um, I have to argue. I have to argue in defense of Crowley. I have to because I'm not a Crowleyite because I'm independent. But um, he was advanced. He was ahead of his time. Um, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be hearing all that great music. Is that your only defense of Crowley? I mean, I do agree with you that oh, he was not, ahead of his time. I actually think Crowley was no, oh, an important figure. I do no, think but he, I was a, to throw he was that a master out first. of English prose. I mean, he, no doubt. Do you know that nobody... I wanted to throw that out has, first. Listen to this. Do you know that nobody, even his most ardent followers, has ever compiled all of his writings into one place, all of his stuff, and actually made a thorough uh, like documentation of what he's wrote? Because he wrote too much. They don't know. He wrote under a variety of different oh, names. What was your name again? William. William. Um, nice to meet you, William. Todd. Um, let me let me explain something. Um, in this world, even if you do publish a great volume of incredible crap, um, the ability to publish that work and put it together in some kind of format that anybody would want to read is an amazing task. The reason Crowley is popular is because he used his parents' fortune after they died to publish his first works. He went broke. His followers um, later on, because people contributed to his group, um, allowed him to continue on with his publishing. And he broke the secrets of the Golden Dawn. That's why I love Crowley. Crowley broke against the world order, even though he was for it. Yeah, I don't know if I fully agree with that. He actually published after taking oaths to keep the secrets of the Golden Dawn uh, quiet. Yeah, he he broke his oath and that. published them. He actually, there's a court case from like 1902 uh, between him and his former master, McGregor Mathers. Uh, McGregor, McGregor Mathers sued him in court, and it was actually laughed out of court. But uh, there's actually court well, records between that. So he actually broke his oath court. and did that. As far as going against the world order, uh, I'm not really sure that I agree with that. I think cruelly he was a um, unreconstructed elitist who believed that the slave shall serve. And he really had kind of a feudal uh, outlook, at least in his writings, about people. He uh, no, actually said uh, no, that. I can see. Did never, you say no, your name is Matthew? Let me finish. This is his writing. He wrote, have nothing Did to do with the Did you say your name is Matthew? What? Is your name Matthew? No, I just said it was William. I'm not done talking. Oh, William. Yeah. Oh, oh he sorry. Said that, oh, sorry, William. Sorry. If, if you want me to make my points, I have to explain them, right? He said, have nothing to do with the muck of the mire, take the diamonds and polish them. And what he meant by that was only deal with the elitists. He only dealt, and he only recruited from his group people from Cambridge and Oxford, the two top schools in England. And uh, that's really who he hung out with. And all of his other relationship with other people was the relationship between kind of a overlord and and a serf. And uh, so I don't believe that he was anything different than anything of any type of elitist class from the past. Well, I, I agree with you, William, and I'm suspect of all of the Crowley's works and the Golden Dawn and the magical traditions that I'm well trained in, because I don't trust the whole system. There's too so many. So, what do you uh, do now? What do you trust and, now at 50 years old? What's that, my my sir? Well, you said you were 50. I'm saying that if you've been reading the occult for 35 years, what are your practices now? Are you still an occultist, or did you become a Buddhist? I still use the techniques they taught me because they work so well. And boy, if they don't work. Um, well, can you explain those I'm techniques? I'm not Buddhist. I am. I, I do lean towards Zen philosophies because I understand the calming and the stealing of the mind. 
but I've gained a Western concept. I'm a chaos magician. Do you read I'm what's the guy's name who was the primary chaos magician? Was it Farrell? No, it was. Uh, um, well, it? what it was was I read the Bible five times, and then uh, I was Christian, and I was Mormon, and then I was. Uh, but before I ever become those things, I was a magician. I learned magic when I was really young. You know, like you said, you know how they got young. That the, the, those weird people, they learned magic when they were young. That's what I did. Right. And then I was influenced by all my family, the Mormons, and then the Christians. And then, you know, I, I read their books. But I read their books, and then I realized, oh, my God, all this shit's just uh, um, the re regurgitated, recycled stuff that, uh, that's that been going around before they even got it. Did you read Peter Carroll's work? Lieber Knoll uh, and I'm Chaos familiar Man. with Peter Carroll, yes. He, 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 yep, that's, where, that's the one that got me, Peter Carroll. Uh, uh -huh, the two books, Psycho. Psychonaut Psycho, and Libernol. Uh, Did you ever Psycho come across Austin Osmond Spare or Israel Rigardi? Yep, Austin Osmond Spare is a heavy influence on me because I'm an artist. And I could relate to Austin Osmond Spare because he was an artist. Interesting. And I've Israel actually been Rigardi, at uh, libraries I know he's where Jewish. I've Don't read hate him conversations for that. between Crowley and Spare. My wife that's dead knew, uh, knew a certain person from the Golden Dawn and... And uh, my wife taught me a lot before she died um, about the Golden Dawn. I had the connections. I was already magically influenced long, long ago. I was, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. There's currents that are running through the universe. And I, I live in Utah. And there's no, I did, no magical fraternity influenced me. I found these books when I was a young child, by the way. Right. Um, so I don't mean to uh, counteract or conflict your view at all. I just wanted to interject some of my own. Do you consider yourself an Illumina Fanateros if you're a Chaos Magician? Are you a member of them? No, I'm not a member of them because I'm independent. I realize okay. you can't contact them because they're probably all connected to the conspiracy that runs the world. The only way we're going to get out of this is every, if everybody stays a separate cell. And that's why I bought into the chaos magicians, because they realized that one world order was coming down, and they told you how to get out of it. Do you ever re relate or uh, communicate with any other chaos magicians? Um, no, but I know magicians of different uh, phases. I'm really well-read, so I'm a weird person. People don't read as much as I do. Um, they can't. I learned how to speed read when I was a child. And then I went through all the great works at a really early age, so I'm very advanced. What are the What do you find is the most um, efficacious practices of yours that you still use? Which things work? I manifest all the time, and I continue to contact my higher self, Holy Guardian Angel. I put that shield around me. You know the How do you do it? Do you do rituals? Do you do some kind of Recitation? I do do rituals. What are your, what are your was basic the, Crowley was purposes? the one. Listen, um, William, mm -hmm. Crowley taught me that I didn't need to do it with the physical tools. I could do it in my mind. And then he was that one that broke that door open where I didn't need to use the tools. I didn't have to have the sword, the dagger, the cup. Right. I didn't have to have the amulets. Crowley was riding across deserts in Africa, as you said, screwing young boys. You alligated that. He did say that. <laughs> I read the books. He said that. He was gay. 
um, and had a thing for boys. You're right there. But he he's the one that said that while he was riding across the desert, he realized he didn't need the physical tools. He could do them in his mind. And that was one that broke open where he didn't need the tools. And he didn't need the fraternities. He didn't need his brothers telling him what was going on. The spirits were talking to him directly. Uh, the God of War was coming. Alistair Crowley predicted it. 1904, he said, Horus, the God of War is coming. And by God, if we're not deeply involved in war worldwide. Right. So I would agree with that. So he made a few predictions. I'm a big Crowley fan. Sorry, my wife's dragging me around. All right, Todd. Thank you, man. All right. I love you guys. Yeah, yeah thank you. Interview. Yeah, thank you for thank calling you. in. Thanks, William. Thank Take you. care. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's a very interesting call there. Yeah, I agree. Very interesting. Very interesting, of course. And moving along here. Just um, to say, yes. just to interject, there's been some very interesting people who consider this, um, themselves chaos magicians. Those are being uh, William Burroughs and Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary was a confirmed member of the Illuminates of, of Thanateros. Yeah, Thanateros he was. Thanateros meaning sex and death. Yeah, and it's... Uh, um, one of the things I say on this program is turn on, tune in, and drop out, and, and that's from uh, Timothy Leary. Well, yeah, that's terrible. Tune in. Yeah, I mean, I think that that dictum, the, that was really something that um, Leary used in the 60s when he was really... I mean, he admitted that I have to get that video out. I think I can't remember. I don't, I'm not sure if it's on my YouTube site, but he said that the '60s was really, uh, you know, backed by the CIA, and he was possibly a CIA asset. So he was really one of these people who wanted to forestall people's um, objection to the Vietnam War by tuning in. By the way, William, uh, we we are joined by another uh, voice here. Uh, I think, uh, caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Trey from Houston. Oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, man. This is a, a really interesting show. Uh, and, uh, thank you. I, I wanted to make a comment. I know y'all were talking about uh, sleep paralysis a minute ago. Sure. And I just had uh, something to share, a comment to make about it. Cool. And, uh, man, that's something that has happened to me. Man, I mean, it's happened to me hundreds of times uh, from childhood to now. I mean, it's, I, I'm used to it by now. And what I was going to say, man, is that um, a lot of people think that it's something bad or that a lot of people believe that it's some kind of demonic position or something bad, basically. But really, it's not, man. Uh, the sleep paralysis is really the first step to getting out of body for an out of body experience. So uh, it took me a long time to figure that out. But uh, when you're in that state of sleep paralysis, all you have to do is keep trying to move and you will eventually detach from your body and be, I guess, in the astral plane, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. But, so uh, have you have you done that yourself? Yeah, I actually know how to do it on purpose. Like I can I can induce it. That's it's basically the first step to an astral projection. Yeah, astral so this projection. is something that can be practiced. Yeah, you can actually practice this and uh, do it on command. Yeah, some people are uh, very yeah. talented in the field of astral travel. We've had on experts here by uh, the name of Robert Bruce, who's also uh, very much into this sort of thing. Right. Right. Yeah, Robert Bruce is, uh, man, I, I can, I mean, the stuff that he's saying is true, man. Yeah, and uh, speaking Based of, on my experience. Speaking of which, uh, William, um, you're familiar with astral projection, correct? I am, yes. Um, would you say that's a, a bad thing to be practicing? Because I, I've had this conversation with others that are very religious, and they think, um, it's kind of bad to, uh, do this, and of course, they also dislike, uh, meditation. 
Interesting. I would say as a Christian, I would say no. I would not ever want to practice that. And I've never practiced it. I would think that a lot of those things are forbidden in the Bible. Um, I don't know. Meditation, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see the utility. I I don't know. As a Christian, you're supposed to pray to God and that's really it. No other gods, you know, even the Old Testament God, thou shalt have have no other gods before me. So, um, yeah. So for me, the astral travel, I've read about it. I mean, I talk about Bowie. David Bowie was an astral traveler. He had some uh, outfit where he had a silver string, and that was supposed to be follow that silver string to return to his body. Does that sound familiar, caller? Uh, yes. Now, now, that's something I've never seen, the actual silver string. But, um, I mean, I do understand where you're coming from, man. I, I have this conversation a lot, too, with a lot of my Christian buddies. And um, a lot of people think that it's something bad and that you shouldn't do it. Yeah. But I personally believe that, uh, man, I mean, everybody can do it, man. It's not nothing mystical or we all do it every night nothing bad about it man what happens when you you go every night really you travel far do you stand above your body what what happens well it uh it all depends man like a a lot of times i get so excited that i don't like i I just kind of stick to the room by accident because i'm thinking about a hundred different places i want to go but uh actually man i actually use it to pray uh yeah i actually use it to pray man i mean that's really what the purpose is it's not really for uh, flying around. I mean, you can go around the galaxy and go different places, or you can even go bother people. But it's actually for uh, prayer for me. I use it to go out there and pray. Interesting. So, uh, hey, hold on one second, guys. I got a call coming in. No problem. And uh, uh, I will call you guys back later. But this is an awesome show, and I yeah, just wanted to share that. Yeah, call in whenever you're free again. Okay. No problem. All right. Take care. Thank you for the call. And uh, interesting. Uh, interesting enough, William. Uh, one of the last callers who called in, he's a bit of a regular out here, and we, we love him very much, and we actually have a, a sound clip of him singing. Um, I want to play that for you now. All right, go for it. A, B, C, easiest one, two, three. <laughs> See, he's musically talented, too. A, B, C, easiest one, two, three. Yeah, Is see? that one of the drunk drunk people who call in? Yeah, that's him. Gotcha. Gotta love that, William. And uh, we are, yes, it is, yes. And uh, we are also joined by another caller now, um, another regular caller, Sherry. Hi. Hi, William. Hi. I I wanted to let you know that I've, um, I've, I've listened to a lot of your interviews on YouTube and stuff. And just, just because of the subject at hand, I wanted to bring something up. Um, I kind of struggled. I don't know if you're familiar with Edgar Casey at all, but I am very much. My, I, I actually have struggled, uh, for, some time with, um, you know, going, cause I was raised as a Baptist and, um, I found the, the Casey stuff and everything. And I went back, I did what he was advised to. And I went back through the Bible. And uh, when I learned about out of body experience and there's, there's multiple, multiple scriptures that back it up. It, it seems like almost all the visions and things that these people had in the Bible, they were in altered states of consciousness. Like right. it'll say, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I know not, but I saw this, this and that. And, or it'd say, and the Lord picked me up and he set me down in the desert and I saw this, that and the other. And I think that to, to sum it up without being long winded, I think that it comes down to it's all about intention because I myself, I try to meditate on things like sending love through all the ley lines and trying to, 
take some of these rituals that have been done against our world and things that I think that they've done to even try to maybe even alter time because, you know, they, they do all kind of rituals and, and try to negate them and, and, and change it into something that's a lot more loving and kind and would make the world a better place. But um, that's really all I wanted to say. But I did want to say that, you know, I do think that while Jesus was between those missing years that were taken out of the Bible or whatever happened to him, that he was off learning to meditate in Tibet and places like that. And I just guess, I think it's all about intention, but I do love your work. And I think everybody has their own path and you're doing a good thing. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you for calling Sherry. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard for me to say, I think for me and my impression of what the old Testament and the new Testament says, you, I mean, if you look at all the outer body experience, God did this and then took me there. You know, there's always involvement with God. It wasn't somebody doing it themselves. So, you know, it's uh my position. Me personally, I'm not interested in trying to force myself into an out of body experience. I have had supernatural I agree. experiences, but yeah. I'm not trying to force that. Or it's not exactly uh, quite a pleasant experience, to be honest with you. You know, it can be scary. I think. I mean, it, I yeah. Think that, yeah, it's a little scary. I definitely think so. Anytime you see yourself from an outside perspective, um, that's not a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, also, if um, anyone out there wants to call in, that number is 760-332-8724. And uh, the new number is 760-332-8947. Please don't call in the 8065 number. That number will no longer be used here, and um, it's going to be gone in a matter of moments, so please don't call that number. And speaking of which, um, we have someone here calling in. Let's take their call. Yeah, I just want to interject real quick. Uh, we should probably talk about the murders while we still have time. Uh, we have uh, a good amount of time here. And caller, you are on the line. What's going on? Uh, not much. How are you guys doing tonight? Fantastic. How are you? Doing pretty good. This is Sarah. And Sarah. I was calling a, a question for your guest. Oh, yes. Um. You had just very briefly had related to William S. Burroughs and referred to him as a chaos magician. I've actually never heard that phrase before. I've just recently become interested in Burroughs, and I was wondering if I could get your opinion on him. Well, I wish I could talk to you in detail about him. I know from my reading he was seen as this kind of uh, influential writer back in the middle of the 20th century, and all types of artists look back to him. He um, was rumored to be involved. He was friends with this guy by the name of Brian Geisen. They involved themselves in all types of magical practices. There's supposed to be references to Crowley in some of his work, tons of drug use. He actually shot his wife in the head, supposedly accidentally, and killed her. He was rumored to be an, uh, CIA hitman. And, uh, you know, I can't say that I know that much about Burroughs, but I do know from my reading that he and Leary were buddies, Timothy Leary's, and they were both members of the Illuminates of Thanateros, which, like I said easier or earlier, could be defined as chaos magic. So uh, I wish I could say I've read his work in detail, but I can't. Okay, yeah. I just, like I said, I'd never heard of the phrase chaos magician. I'm going to have to look that up. And uh, it actually kind of fits right in with who he was and what he was about. Um, when I see interviews with him, it's just kind of a... It's phenomenal. He's one of those guys who just goes on and on and on. He doesn't really ever stop. And it's almost uh, it's almost hip, hip, hypnotic in a way. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I know he came. Actually, his family, he came from money. His family 
invented the typewriter, his father or uncle or something like that. And he never really worked. He spent time in Europe writing in Morocco and did drugs. And I think his famous book was Naked Lunch. But uh, yeah. he, he was really kind of this cultural, like kind of a beat writer, almost this cultural figure like Kerouac, who influenced tons of people. Uh, by the way, caller, mm-hmm. um, excuse me. Um, were you making popcorn in the background there? I, I was hearing some popping sounds when you first called in. Um, no, you know, that might have been one of my cats playing with uh, his soccer ball. Oh, the, the cat. Oh, my goodness. Those cats. Gotta love them. Yes, yes. All right. Sorry about so, that. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no problem. Um, I did turn the TV down and everything. No, you probably might have heard it just then. Um, yeah, so, no, I just, I've recently become interested in Burroughs and he had mentioned him and now I'm going to have to take a look into him even well, more. If you research and find anything, send me what you find to my email address, the cult investigations at gmail.com. I would love to uh, see what you find out. Okay, cool. Well, a cold, in, a cold investigations at gmail.com. Thank you. No problem. All right. Thank you for giving us a call here. We appreciate it. All right, you guys. Good show. Have a good one. All right. Thank you very All much. Right. Take care. Thank you. And that was another great call there for you, uh, William. And we are speaking to the one and only William Ramsey here live on End of Days Radio. And um, we find ourselves now in the part of the interview, William, where I ask you about the West Memphis Three case. So what exactly sparked your interest in that case? So I was researching. I wrote my first book about cruelty, profit of evil. I was researching my second book, Children of the Beast. I came across this video of somebody asking Damien Eccles, who was of the West Memphis Three, about Aleister Crowley. And that really was what piqued my interest. I was like, hold on, Crowley was involved in the West Memphis Three? I didn't know that. I had seen West of Memphis, which was one of the documentaries that was released by HBO in 1996. I had seen it, didn't think much of it, just said, okay, just move forward. I had heard that they were released in August of 2011. Their release date was like eight days ago. Uh, it was five years from eight days ago. Uh, so that was August 19th, 2011. They were released. I didn't think anything. But then when I found out Crowley was involved in the case, I was like, whoa, I got to figure out what's going on with this case. And I read, as I was reading, I realized that there was a large majority of people who believed that they were railroaded, that they were tried on false charges and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But there was a small minority who said, hey, these guys are guilty of child murder. And they were actually guilty. To get out of jail, they had to sign an agreement. They actually took what's called an, what's called as an Alford plea, which is a uh, Supreme Court case where a guy in North Carolina uh, pled guilty while publicly maintaining his innocence. So they publicly maintained their innocence, but still pled guilty. And they're actually still guilty at law currently now. Well, to find out about the case, I started researching. I read a lot of websites that were out there. But what I was lucky enough to find is that all of the court materials were compiled at a website called Callahan 8K. So that was like, okay, this is, I can start reading. And as I started reading, I started like comparing public statements about their innocence to the court cases, which, you know, everybody's saying these guys are trouble. Well, in the court cases, it shows that they had all uh, been under court supervision for kind of other criminal acts. And Damien Eccles has, was in three separate um, psych- psychological units. He was in two psychological units in, in Arkansas and one in uh, Oregon for threats to kill his mother and all kinds of awful stuff. 
The whole blood case, fighting. Jesus Christ, that whole case was gruesome, by the way. Really gruesome. I so it's, it's, put it's that was called there. Exhibit 500. You can see a lot of these videos at my YouTube site on West Memphis. It's about West Memphis on the cold investigations. Um, but so I just kept reading and I was like, so there were, there were these three, um, documentaries. There was one that was put out by Peter Jackson and Damien Eccles called West of Memphis. There's a book called Devil's Knot by Moral Leverett. And so I'm reading these and there's all this information that's left out. I'm like, hold on, guys. You're not, and you, you have to, and all this court information's out, all their admissions, they all admitted to killing them. Um, and all the occult stuff was out. Well, as I'm reading through, I find out Damien Eccles has done the HGA ritual, which is interesting because that caller talked about his holy guardian angel earlier on the uh, phone call. But Crowley himself stated that his holy guardian angel, angel was Satan. So when somebody says the HGA, that really makes me sit up in my chair. And, and Damien Eccles said that in his book, um, Life After Death which uh, has a lot of glaring omissions as well. So, you know, I really started saying these guys are not only, and they had all kinds of celebrity support, Johnny Depp, Eddie Vedder, yeah. Margaret Cho, um, Dave Navarro, all these people came out in support with them. And I didn't know most of those people. I didn't know them in detail, but as I started researching them, I was like, oh, okay, occultist, occultist, occultist. You guys are all into the occult. And now it's like the tie that bind, Henry Rollins that binds all these people together. And uh, it's just a remarkable case because they were able to raise on the sympathy plea where they were supposedly put in jail for um, being innocent. They raised 10 to 20 million dollars. So they got the best attorneys in the country. This guy by the name of Reardon out of California, a great appellate attorney. They got top of the line PR people. This guy, Sori, S-O-U-R-Y, out of New York to to get their case out in the public. And they actually got out of jail. And uh it's just, it's just an incredible case on so many different levels. And one of the things that ties is that, I mean, it goes back to this chaos magician idea of, you know, trickery. And I mean, I guess, I don't know if that's an established theme within chaos magic, but I think that that's really it. And if you look at Damien Eccles tattoos, he has this incredible black sun tattoo. He's covered with tattoos, covered by the with way. Covered with tattoos. Yeah. All occult, all kind of occult meanings. He's actually covering himself with the, um, language that John D and Kelly a god from the angels in their ethers. It's called the, oh, the Enochian language, Enochian magical language. He's covering his body in that. Um, so this is, uh, and Eccles himself has made this admission. I want to be the greatest magician that ever lived. It's a pretty bold statement. Um, so, uh, it's just an incredible case. So most of the public at this point thinks that they're, they're innocent, that they were railroaded, that they got busted for wearing Metallica shirts and wore black, but. Um, I think all the records in the court case pretty much show that they were the right suspects, that the police tried to do their job the best they could in difficult situations, and that the soak, the admission, the, the, one of the most compelling aspects of the whole case is that Jesse Miskelly not only admitted it on June 3rd of 1993, he admitted it after he got convicted, and he kept admitting it. And these are all recorded admissions on tapes where he says, yeah, we did it. Yes, we did it. I want something done about it. Yeah, there's actually one that's uh, commonly referred to as the confession against the advice of his attorney because his attorney is sitting right there saying, Jesse, don't do it. And Jesse's like, no, I want something done about it. They, we did it. And his attorney's like, no, this is not in your best interest. His attorney's doing a heck of a job trying to keep him from uh, implicating himself, but he had already been convicted and given, a, I don't think he had been sentenced yet. But uh, so it really is a remarkable case that involves PR, cultism, mm -hmm. human sacrifice, um, because I do believe there's rituals involved. I do believe that there are elements of ritual behavior in the killings. And, uh, I think it's all about celebrity as well. So it's cultism, celebrity and public relations. Yeah. It seems like a, a mass, uh, 
well, actually a variety of celebrities rather, got involved in this case. And of course, we mentioned Johnny Depp, who was, of course, the their biggest supporter. One of their biggest supporters. And Johnny there. Johnny Depp has been losing it th- these past couple of weeks, right? Yeah. I mean, have you seen the video of him and his yes. wife where he's like having a meltdown? <laughs> yeah, that was insane. Acid glasses of wine. With, he was fighting with Amber Heard. That's right. It's yeah. kind of uh, pretty wild to um, be fighting with, with Amber Heard of all, of all women. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's pretty remarkable. He has a strange friendship with, uh, Marilyn Manson too. Johnny yes. Depp yes, he does. Pictures of them like almost in, in an embrace where they're almost kissing. Well, you know, they, you know, Johnny Depp plays in a, in a band, right? Right. The, the vampires, Hollywood vampires. That's another weird thing to see. Uh, have you ever watched him, um, at a gig? I've, I've seen a couple of them. Oh my like God. Happened. It's, it's just so bizarre to see him playing guitar. Yeah. Well, apparently he was a guitar player before he was an actor. That's what I was told. He so. just seems like a creep, in my opinion. Well, he has a lot of strange tattoos, kind of like uh, like Eccles. And he's rumored, the rumor is, I know for a fact that Damien Eccles and Henry Rollins have this black sun motif on their back. But it's rumored that Manson and Depp both have a black sun on their back. Uh, Henry Rollins is another guy, I just think, who's another prick, in my opinion. I, I just can't stand that guy either. And, of course, uh, Damien Eccles... Uh, another guy who I, I think is kind of a creep, um, just by his appearance alone. Yeah, if you want to see some interesting videos about Henry Rollins and Damien Eccles, you can go to my YouTube site at a cold in, a, a YouTube site at a cold investigations, and I have tons of information about them that will show that there's so many instances where they're um, lying about the court case, uh, just like dodging questions. Stuff that just, they're just so guilty. It's incredible. Also, what's up with uh, Johnny Depp and, and cutting his finger? Yeah, I guess he had some kind of meltdown, cut his finger, and then wrote on a mirror and blood and his finger in blood and mud. Oh, my God. What a weirdo. I, I just... That picture's out there online, too, about his wife cheating on him with some other guy. Oh, with yeah. Billy Bob Thornton, I think. Billy Bob Thornton, yeah. 61-year-old Billy Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm Yeah, not earlier you mentioned Marilyn Manson. He's very tied with this stuff, isn't he? I've seen him wearing like Masonic rings and stuff like that. Heavy duty, man. Heavy duty. He's admitted that he's affiliated with the OTO and he knows process church theology. Process church was an offshoot of Scientology and founded by two guys. It was, uh, Mary Ann DeGrimston, DeGrimston, Robert DeGrimston, Mary Ann something. But they really started this weird religion that had four different entities that you could um, kind of make your personality of Christ, Satan, Jesus. It was something else, but it, and it was just really something. These guys, if you read about it in my book, Children of the Beast, they all grouped up and went to some place called X-Tool, X-T-U-L, Stuhl, in the northern part of the Yucatan, and let themselves be guided by discarnate entities. That was really who they were in contact with, who uh, guided them through their rituals and stuff. And they had a very tight closely knit secret uh hierarchy that was very secret although it's slowly being revealed but uh the process church is really something else by the way william have you ever uh faced any sort of harassment either online or or all the time physically oh yeah all the time i I would they hate the people in the west (laughs) memphis three hate my guts i was just about to say that i bet uh, those their supporters are they just hate you so much just with a white hot fury man you know i set up I was invited to some kind of meeting. Oh my! It's like I uh, don't think I'm going to that. W- William, I, I must oh say, God. William, I must say, I, I got a few emails um, from random people saying you shouldn't be on this program. 
believe it. I, they get that all the time. Because of the your opinion. Is they don't have any facts or logic to back them up. They just and... say, he's bad. You know what? They, their, their, their most common assertion is that. I'm getting, so you heard this before I'm, then. I'm getting, I'm getting rich publishing a book about it. Oh, God. Nobody reads, man. It's a joke. No one reads. Yeah, I was going to say, you know how hard it is to uh, make any kind of book sales nowadays? Oh, possible, dude. It's, it's an uphill battle. just made CDs. Oh, that's all I should have done. So anyway, I, they, I mean, I did it because I thought and I still think it's a great injustice. And uh, I think I do think that the head, Damien Eccles, is still dangerous. I really do. I got four. And he's still under probation. I mean, I got four emails, by the way, William, saying why you well, they didn't even give a reason why you shouldn't be on. They just said um, for your opinions on the West Memphis three, you shouldn't be on. Right. I understand. That's a uh, ridiculous, by the way. I didn't even respond. Well, yeah, way to censor somebody before he even comes on, people. I mean, come on, what show are you riding into? Get real. Yeah, I mean, everyone I is gonna, everyone is gonna get a, a shot here, and everyone's opinion is gonna be heard. Well, if people are on the fence and they're not sure, my suggestion is you can read my book, but you can also just go to the court records because they're readily available. And look what happened at the court, and you'll see all of the arguments by made by the West Memphis Three supporters have been just eviscerated. They're not real. The fact that I mean, they say that he was just an innocent guy walking around. But if you look at the uh, Exhibit 500, this is a person with a 500-page psych report. It's huge. It's a volume, voluminous. So uh, that's a very sketchy character. And the, the admissions, all of the admissions that they said they did it, the fact that they didn't have alibis. I mean, they could, one of the guys, Jason Baldwin, couldn't even come up with an alibi in court. He couldn't even say I was eating ice cream. He couldn't even say that. They just didn't do it. Um, so, And then the admissions that Jesse Miskelly just kept confessing post post-conviction. So uh, I think, and you know, the other thing is that I'm not alone. There's been some other online people that have been severely harassed. It's a really good crime writer by the name of Trench Reynolds, who termed the followers of Damien Eccles, this is really funny, Ecclesologist after Scientologist because of their fevered support of their, you know, uh, guy who's convicted of child killing. Um, and that's one guy, Trench Reynolds. There was another guy by the name of Billy Sinclair. If you look him up, can't really find his articles, but all I posted a lot of his articles at my Facebook page. Excellent writer who said that his website got hacked and shut down. Um, so the, 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 the campaign of harassment, I think has been there from the beginning and really continues to this day. And I think it's, uh, they've successfully, um, had other people avoided getting involved in this case and telling the truth about it. Um, I didn't really know. I didn't know that much about the, kind of group meant stalking mentality and the OTO. I mean, and by the way, Damien Eccles is a confirmed member of the OTO. Look that up online. You can see my video where the OTO itself confirms his membership. Uh, so he's involved in Crowley's uh, secret society. So I'm sure they're listening right now. But Just a reminder, three eight-year-olds died. Yeah, there's a really horrific death. So, um, and if you read Alistair Crowley's Magic in Theory and Practice, the perfect sacrifice is a young boy of perfect innocence. So, uh, by the way, we have uh, someone else here calling in. Let's see what they have to say. Caller, you are live on the air with uh, myself and William Ramsey. Hi, this is Andrea. Hey, quick question. Um, so if you're going, do you just look at everybody's tattoos and go like, ooh, evil? Look at that. That looks satanic to me. I mean, do you just go around judging people by their tattoos? I'm just curious. Come on, Andrea. No, I'm so. curious because I have occult looking tattoos. And so oh. I'm just curious if like you, you see stuff on people, are you like, oh my goodness, that one right there. I'm just curious. The answer is no. Okay, cool. That's all I wanted to know. Thanks. Uh, thank you for your call. 
And uh, yeah, William, uh, lots of people very um, angry over uh, everyone's opinion on the case here. Lots of people think that they're innocent. I, I, I debate anybody, anytime, any place, but they people can't come up with reason aspect or reasons why they're innocent. They don't even they can't even say they had good alibis because all the alibis were destroyed in court. So then where were you? Where were you from 530 to 730? Well, I don't know. I mean, Jesse Miskelly claimed he was at a wrestling thing. They they went through it and they found out that that was one week before. So his his alibi was flawed, fraudulent. Just Jason Baldwin didn't have an alibi. Damien Eccles said he was talking to these girls and they said, oh, no, I talked to him after 930. So there's all these vacant things, you know. So uh, and he was seen at the scene of the crime by a whole family. The Hollingsworth family saw Damien Eccles and either his girlfriend or Jason Baldwin Baldwin within 100 yards of the crime scene at the night, muddy. And you had to be muddy where there was water and all that stuff. So um, it, it's it's fine. I don't mind people asking me questions, but have some basis in reality. You get, I get silly questions like that that are absurd on their face. Do I think everybody has tattoos or they're, they're all occult tattoos? No. Have you seen Damien Eccles' tattoos? They're all, they have, a lot of them have occult references. I've already explained some of them. The have, you, uh, have you seen some of his artwork? Yeah, it's disturbing. It's a little weird, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's Torture. not about judging this or that person. We're just spreading information and awareness. Um, so I've never changed my position since I wrote my book four years ago. I'm still not changing my position now. They're all three are guilty at law. They know that. Um, so you can say whatever. I know that there are tons of weak minded people in America who don't read, who believe PR on a variety of different subjects outside of anything having to do with West, West Memphis three. And they come to conclusions on the thinnest of possible facts. I got two facts. Okay. You know, there is a lot of the other thing that people need to realize about the West Memphis three are there are groups of people out there who are deliberately distorting the record. And I think they have to ask themselves why those people are out there. By the way, what motivation do you think uh, Johnny Depp and Eddie uh, Vedder had for supporting Damien Echoes? It's an excellent question. I would say from my research and what I've found out is a lot of these guys are into similar things that Damien Echoes is into. It seems like a lot of different people are into this. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of the thing, like the peeling the onion of the case. You research it and you go, what's this person? I didn't know anything about Depp. I just saw him as a movie star in these movies that I enjoyed. Yeah, and again, they they claimed that Damien Echoes had all this, uh, he had this very uh, charismatic personality, and um, from all the footage I've seen, he he seems to lack any sort of charismatic uh, aura about him, to be honest with you. Um, I think that he, you know, they talked to him on trial, there's a, a thing when he was 18, and the prosecutor asked him, do you know anything about the occult, or I don't remember it uh, verbatim. But he says, I know everything about the occult. And he said that when he was 18. Wasn't there so, a time when when he's doing this testimony and allegedly they have been drinking? Yeah, they were supposedly drinking beer. That's correct. Um, At the time of the murders, they were drinking beer. I see. Uh, that was, that was, I think, what Jesse Miss Kelly said. Jesse Miss Kelly was drinking whiskey and they were drinking beer. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a horrifying case. It's a really terrifying, uh, the facts that you know they got out, but uh, I can under you know I can understand what people aren't going to take a position on this. There's people who've done these videos about them, but I don't I don't think that they're one is critical truth. I think is a, a YouTube site. I think it was a, a pretty good job. Paradise Lost was that documentary that really was trying to paint the picture that they were completely innocent of of any kind of crime. Correct. The first one I think kind of said that they did it, but the second and the third they like pinned the crime on differing which is even more ridiculous in some of the stuff, but differing stepfathers. So the second one tried to make 
uh, John Mark Byers look guilty, and then the third one made Terry Hobbs look guilty. And they're actually in the second one. Yeah, Terry Hobbs. Uh, Damien Eccles another... is saying, um, we're 100% sure that John Mark Byers did it. And then Jason Baldwin says, I think John Mark Byers did it. You know, they're, so they're both blaming him. And then on the third one, they're both saying Hobbs did it. So they actually switched their perp, which should tell you everything. That should be enough for you to come to a, an accurate conclusion. And it's in those movies. I didn't make those movies. I came to them in 19, you know, in 2012 after they had been made. So, I mean, the thing is, is that they had a ton of money. They had this guy, Werner Spitz, come out. He was a very well-known forensic expert and say that a lot of the injuries to the kids were done, if not all of them, by 110-pound snapping turtles, which nobody in the court record ever saw. Oh, it doesn't Lord. account for the, the fact that the children had damage that was done by a blunt object to them and a knife object. So there had to be a knife. So unless a 110-pound <clears throat> frog can care or turtle can carry a knife or a sledgehammer. It doesn't account for other other parts of the forensic record. And they also had John Douglas, who's an ex, ex-FBI guy, and I cover this. It's an unbelievable book. You just can't believe the distortions because John Mark, uh, Douglas was in uh, went to the case, and he said, the, the boys, this is an expert. John Douglas has written tons of books. He, this guy will never call me. None of these people ever call me. They don't ever dispute any of my factual statements because they're facts. Douglas said there's nothing indicative in the court records that would show these people would have a propensity for the crime. That's the West Memphis Three. When I've just shared with you the Exhibit 500, um, the already the, the court records about their criminality and stuff like that. So it's incredible. And the other thing is the FBI denies the reality of occult-motivated crime. Uh, there's something called the Lanning Report, which is this groundbreaking work that shows that there's no occult crimes. But then I went through in my book and showed, look at all these people motivated by the occult who committed these crimes. Richard Rodriguez was an occultist. He did all kinds of crazy stuff motivated by the occult. No, not occult motivated. They actually put this really strained definition of what the occult crimes are, where you have to have pre-planning, um, two people, do a ritual at the scene, and then run around and, and stand up, tied down to make it an occult crime. Really ridiculous. I can't remember what, what the actual strained definition of occult crime was. but How deep does this stuff go? I mean, this is one case of children being hurt, but I've also heard about a worldwide conspiracy of ritual child abuse. Uh, do you think that there's a hidden network tell. of pedophiles? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. I mean, have you ever heard of the Dutro case in uh, Europe, the one in Belgium? Uh, the one with the school and the tunnels, something like that. Yeah, there was tunnels. This guy was abducting young girls. And then somebody did some research and said they saw Dutro in Germany. And he had these girls underneath and like two of them died. They actually shut down the government in Belgium because what they found out is it went all the way to the top. And then other people researched it. And this guy's like traveling around Europe. So um, that is a, as an example. You talk about the Franklin cover up. Um, Sandusky was a much larger thing. That oh, yes. Who, that was just, they just pinned it on him. There was other people involved for 20 years. They knew what he was up to. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They actually said that. I just read somewhere that uh, the coach, somebody told the coach about Sandusky back in the 90s. He ignored it. You read that? That came out. What was the coach's name there? So these things happen. Look at Jeffrey Epstein. Have you read about Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein and the Lolita Express? Uh, no. Yeah. Look up Jeffrey Epstein traveling around with underage girls. And his black book. Read that. Or look up a Bill Cosby. Cosby. Or... I mean, God only knows how many more people. <laughs> so you had 50 women come forward. How many other oh my God. women are out there? I, I like to, I, I refer to him as a pill Cosby, William. That's a good one. I like that. I'm going to use that. You should. That's a, it's a great one. Awesome. Because there's probably women out there with two kids who are middle-aged, two 16-year-old kids who don't want to see their mom talking about 
being drugged and raped by Bill Cosby, you know? That's horrible. So there's probably, I bet there's another 100, another 50. I bet 50. There probably is. came forward and there's 50 more. Now, uh, moving along here, William, I, I did want to get your take on um, Hillary Clinton. She's, of course, been all over the news as usual, and um, it seems like her health has been deteriorating um, yeah. right before our eyes. If you want to see eyes. some videos showing her bad health, um, go to... My occult investigations on YouTube. I have like a video that was seen 300,000 times in the last three weeks. So people are totally interested in that. And it's her just sitting there coughing. And I just saw something from jo- Paul Joseph Watson today, a guy who works with Alex Jones, who said that Bill Clinton admitted in one of his books that her health would be an issue in this campaign. And there it is. They're lying about it, covering it up. But uh, <clears throat> she's not well. There's videos of her visiting Joe Biden's uh, home. And, oh God, that Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, another yeah, another character. Up. She has to grab under railing and a table. Have you seen so, videos of Joe Biden? Um, when he's just interacting with with women. Yeah. He's terrible. pretty goddamn creepy. Yeah. He's uh, an interesting guy. It he, makes, uh, makes so, you think what's in his emails, right? Oh God. Yeah. Oh so, my, the thought, well, the, just, just the thought stuff, alone yeah. makes me uh, shudder. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff going on. I remember back in the 1990s, there was a pro wrestling thing going on called the New World Order. Is there any connection there to an actual New World Order? Is it some kind of mind control or predictive programming? Probably something like that, I would say. But I think they they might have wanted a theme and then satirize it or whatever, make it cartoonish. But the New World Order is really, I think it's a real doctrine by elites. You know, they want to reshape the world into their image. And I think... You know, if you have an elite doctrine, there's like 95% of the people who, you know, they don't need or want. They're just really the slave shall serve kind of mentality. And, uh, you know, you can be poisoned, drugged, dumbed down. So, so that's kind of where we're at. By the way, it William. It does seem like there's quite a bit of that going on. There's a lot of pollution and Monsanto and crappy stuff in our food. Some people even theorize that it's all done to suppress our consciousness. Oh, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, I think look at the vaccines. That's a huge program of like population control. They just up the vaccine quantity to 62 when you're a kid. They give people a, a hepatitis B vaccine. I mean, it's not funny. They give people a, like a sexually a vaccine for sexually transmitted disease to a newborn. That's true. Doesn't make rational sense. It makes no sense. You don't tell me that science. Don't tell me that science because people can put the science moniker on that, but that is like quackery voodoo. It's insane. And you know, they don't, the thing is, is that a lot of the vaccine arguments that are pro-vaccine, they never want to talk about what else is in the vaccine. They don't talk about the Marisol. They don't talk about other poisons. They don't talk about any of that. They just say, oh, vaccines are good. But th- that's not the problem. The problem is that they're tainted with other material. Yeah, know? they don't really tell you those uh, precious side effects that come with it. Yeah, really. It's not, I mean, this, what's worth the risk? Their actual disease you're trying to prevent or should I take the vaccine disease? You know? They're very dangerous. I would definitely second guess or triple guess any vaccinees. I would just avoid... I don't know. If you don't have to go to a hospital, don't. What about a common flu shot? I would never take that. Never? That's a never. I've never taken one. I've never taken a flu shot. I'm too scared to. Let me tell you why. The reason is, is they assume in that flu shot, they're giving you basically a broken down virus, but they don't know which virus you're going to have. So they just think this is the virus that's going to be around. So they give you a virus that may not actually be the antidote for a virus that you get. So why would you take that if it's not the right one? They never really tell you that in the in the flu thing. You just assume that it's anti-flu, but they don't tell you that. They're just guessing that this is the, you know, this is the flu virus that's going around in 2016. And then all the other crap in there. 
adjuvants and all that. Yeah, definitely. Um, William, I did want to ask you, um, out of uh, your books you published, um, which one would you uh, recommend those who just uh, found out about you? Which which book would you recommend first? I would check out my most recent. It's Children of the Beast. Alistair Crowley's Shadow of Humanity covers a lot of the people we've talked about tonight. It covers people we didn't talk about, Kinsey, Kenneth Anger. But uh, I think it just shows Crowley. I do have a piece on Crowley in there, about 40 pages about Crowley, just to give people a primer. It makes the book stand on its own. And I think it really shows an encompassing overview of Crowley's influence upon the 20th century, and a lot of it's deleterious. It's not good. It's not a good effect, but I think it's important for people to know. You can get that at my website, occultinvestigations.com. Was Crowley indeed some, was he the beast? It seems like he had a big effect on things. I think so. I mean, was he the actual person from the Bible? I don't know. But do I think that he won? He considered himself one of the seven most important people that ever lived. So. Well, what's think, scary I, I is he was, oh, go ahead. Guys. I got to run. Oh, okay. Did you want to plug anything or That's anything I mean, at all? I would just go, you know, if you want, my books are on Amazon, uh, Occult Investigations. You can see Children of the Beast. And if you can go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's a cold investigations. You can see tons of free West Memphis three videos. If you're on the fence or if you have any questions, you can email me at a cold investigations at gmail.com. That's William Ramsey, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being on the program. I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes, we got to We got to have you back on here again in the near future. Love to. Thanks, guys. Right. I really appreciate it. Have a great night. Right. Take care, William. Bye bye. And of course, that was William Ramsey, ladies and gentlemen. Great, great guest. I had uh, an amazing time talking to William. Yeah, that was truly something special. My God, we talked about so many different things from Crowley to the Illuminati to the Memphis Three. Uh, So many things we learned tonight and so many people we offended. Uh, Well, that's going to happen every now and then. People are not going to be very happy with the opinions they hear on this program. And, well, this is a call-in show. (laughs) 